0: Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange. And today we have a special format to you, bringing on two of my favorite guests, a couple of individuals from our PSE organization. First, Andrew Miller. Second, J.D. Wallace. Not in order of importance. I love you both, uh, but welcome to the program. Some of the best episodes and and the the favorite discussion I've had has been with each of you so mr miller welcome and salutations
1: yeah, I mean, i totally remember you saying that i was your favorite psc but I, I guess that was the one-on-one conversation not not the public one I, I don't know
0: yeah we try to keep those private i know there's a little internal competition with episode <laughs> downloads and listens too that you have going on jd uh welcome back bud hey thanks i'm just
2: gonna say he saves the best for last right so uh yeah <laughs>
1: shazam
0: well, and that brings us on to the format of today's discussion, something that I've been wanting to try for a while and I hope that everybody listening really likes and, I, you know, I called it the great debate when we were planning and as as we, you know, evolved what the outline looked like, there was kind of an internet memey kind of thing of, you know, making a statement and, and saying, you know, change my mind. There's that picture of I had some, some guy sitting at a table with, uh, you know, X is the best, change my mind. And that's kind of where we're going to go today, right? You excited for that, Miller?
1: I mean, so that when I do this, there's a lot of talks that sometimes I kind of tiptoe around with customers and you're making jokes, you're trying to see which way they think about it. That's the stuff we're just going to take on today. And, and if anything, it'll be maybe JD and I beating up on each other. We're not beating up on anyone who's listening, regardless of how you think about these topics. Hopefully,
0: Well, and at JD, I think it'll be fun, right? We're, we're, you, we're getting all of your expertise, you know, your technical knowledge, but also business knowledge and, and making some interesting, some interesting statements and letting you guys kind of debate the merits of those. And, you know, you guys don't have to be in conflict, but certainly it'll be really great to extract out that the knowledge you guys have.
2: Well, it's certainly not suggesting that anyone is wrong; just that I'm right. <laughs> and with oh, that, are you that,
1: saying like you don't compete; you just we just win. Is that kind of, like shades of that? That's where we're going already. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. Sorry, you
2: got all your do, mic ready to I, drop.
0: All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Right. <laughs> Get that music kind of thing. Well, let's start with a palate cleanser. I think that's where we wanted to go to just see how how this is going to actually work. And uh, again, in our, our pre-discussions on this, I, and I can't believe this because I'm totally anti, but you guys kind of both think that carrot cake is the best cake. Change your mind.
2: You know, I think this is a crazy one too because, I mean, carrot cake, like you don't think about that. You know, there's chocolate and the, you know, funfetti, of course, you know, really up there. And it's a, it's amazing to think that, you know, small world, right? You know, carrot cake's the best cake. But uh, but yeah, my my, my wife actually made one for my birthday not too long ago.
0: It's good stuff. And I'm surprised Andrew you you think carrot cake is awesome too.
2: Fruits,
1: vegetables, dairy, all in one thing. I mean this is like a balanced a bit balanced breakfast lunch and dinner kind of thing except there's one caveat here so in singapore they actually have carrot cake if you ever go to singapore around that part of the world you get carrot cake and you may depending you may actually not be disappointed but for me it's very disappointing because there's actually no carrot cake in carrot cake there it's like a daikon kind of thing there's literally a book about that you can find on amazon called there's no carrot cake in carrot cake for the the westerners who are like i love my i love my cream cheese frosting it eh, doesn't apply over there
0: yeah and must.
2: Be. No carrots and carrot cake. I, f- I feel like that's a TED talk waiting to happen. did not seem right.
0: That'll be a pretty good one. Um, and that's the part that I just I just don't don't like at all. You know, just the crunchy, chunky, whatever. Just give me a big white fluffy cake with white frosting, sugar bomb with funfetti. And mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm going to go to town. All right. Well, we got I our palette, for four hours. yeah. We got our palate cleanser out of the way, and you can see how this is, is going to work. We're going to rant a little bit first, though, before we start debating some of the topics. And um, one of the ones that comes up, you know, we have our good friend Stephen Foskett from uh, Gestalt IT, who's a really big proponent of this, is. Is sort of the use of on-premise instead of on-premises when we were talking about how and where things are located. And given that premise is, you know, actually a word that does not mean on location, um, you know, does that matter? JD, you got an opinion on this?
2: You know, and I may have to duck a little bit so I avoid the uh, the Gollum name from 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 Stephen Foskett. But but yeah, I don't care. It's you know, it's it's a language thing. Language is constantly evolving. Think of how many words that we have today we didn't have you know years ago. And I, I don't care. I, I I know what you mean. I think everybody else does. What's the big deal? Can we move on now? Now Sifts on the other hand, totally different story there. That that means something completely different. But on prem on premises, I would.
1: I mean, I've, I've personally settled on on-prem just to try and avoid it. I, I remember practicing the night before Tech Field Day presentation saying on-prem so that I wouldn't get the stink guy from delegates. They wouldn't get distracted. And like, I wanted them to focus on what I was saying instead of getting into like, hey, you know, stop, stop, stop. You said on-premise you know, kind of thing. And of course, Fosket in the background of Tech Field Day usually. So for me, it's been like, I, I just want to communicate and I find it kind of funny and you can laugh along because it's a cultural thing. Yeah, but just say on-prem and we're done.
0: It works. I do find it's one of those things that I change or 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 find in a lot of documentation, you know, if I'm reviewing slides or reviewing, you know, solutions marketing materials, that I gotta add that S in there, but you know, I add that along with adding Oxford commas into everything too, since I'm a big Oxford comma uh kind of proponent. But all right. So JD JD could care less, just language is evolving and Andrew says use on prem, use on prem and then and then you fix it. All right, that works.
2: Uh, you know, I think it's funny. I think it's funny, Andrew, that you are kind of, you know, staying out of it. Just use on-prem, avoid the whole topic. I see so many people. I think uh, John Owings actually on Twitter said, you know, I, I lean into it now. I'm going to use on-premise just so I can evoke a
0: response. So
1: <laughs> I'm looking for more kumbaya than conflict, I guess <laughs> is how we're going to say it here. So, you know, hey.
0: Well let's keep, let's keep the Kumbaya and conflict going here and go with another kind of fun fun statement that's a little controversial or or that gets people kind of ranting and and JD, this is one that, that you're kind of into is the whole cloud is just somebody else's data center. Um, take a position on that.
2: Yeah, well, I think we've all seen the sticker, right? You know, wh- whose laptop has the sticker? Cloud, it's just somebody else's data center, it's hardware somewhere else. And you know, it's, gosh, cloud is another one of those terms, it's so overloaded. What does it mean? It depends on the context of the conversation. And for me, it kind of comes down to hardware versus software, right? If, if, if you're ta- if you're very hardware centric in your conversation, yeah, it is, it's it's just another data center somewhere else. But I, I think the change really for me and where it's abstracted is when it comes to the software, right? And, and I maybe not so much maybe it's still just another data center but when we start getting into the way cloud has forced us to evolve the way we think about applications and decentralizing them and making them more subscription focused then then no I think it's it's very different. How's that for a non answer? I said yes and no. <laughs> yes and uh, it,
1: there is an actual NIST definition for cloud, which is always interesting because people use it so in so many different ways. But there's actually a true definition for the ultimate kind of fuzzy definition word. The other thing to me is like in any joke, there's a kernel of truth that, you know, in some cases it is someone else's data center. Or, or maybe it's only funny because for some people it's true. I think we all did pieces of like, hey, maybe 10 years ago, need a private cloud strategy. Let me help you with that VMware thing so you can check the box to your executive. I got private cloud. That's cloud, kind of, sort of. So, it 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 is depending on how you approach it. But you can embrace it as a different operating model for sure.
2: Yeah, but you you use definition for the last one too. On premise has a definition of that it didn't convince me.
1: I mean, this is back to my original <laughs> high school debate stuff. You start with definitions, and that gets you out of so much trouble. Or you can corner your opponent into the territory you want just by def- just by having good definitions. So yeah,
2: <laughs> Webster's not going to save you here
0: it 's just semantics to win debates really which which gets into another term that 's kind of interesting i got you know we, I get a lot of emails every day from from other vendors and from industry things and this morning I got a bingo I got an email that included marketing term bingo it had uh, optimized and efficient it had multi cloud and it had digital transformation bingo really early in the morning to get a uh, a marketing word bingo but let's take on, let, yeah let 's take on digital transformation what the heck does that actually mean
2: JD? Yeah, this one I struggle with a lot more. I mean, it, it, to your point, it feels so much like something that, you know, somebody was sitting in a marketing meeting and, you know, it sounded good and resonated when they said it out loud. And so yeah, digital right? transformation. I mean, I don't know. I, I still struggle. What does it even mean? I, 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 uh, I used to buy tapes and then one day I got a, I think it was a Garth Brooks CD. So that was my digital transformation, I guess. I'm digital. I got CDs now.
1: This is like so hard because this is one where I think I probably test the waters on this one the most. You, know, we wrote, you and I, Rob, talked about like, like a Gartner spending survey priority right. thing about digital yeah, transformation because yeah. that's like ransomware and cybersecurity and stuff. Yeah. So I'll literally always lead off with when I talk about digital transformation because I don't know my audience. If I don't know my audience as like to some people, this has meaning to and you have like real projects that are tied to this and executive and board level initiatives. And I'm the last person who wants to, <laughs> to criticize that to other people. It's just a total buzzword. And you say it and there's somebody out there who probably wants to throw something through the microphone at us for like, yeah, yeah, it's just a total buzzword. Don't even pretend otherwise. But for some people, it's real. And it's a really interesting bifurcation there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it is real, right? It is. I mean, again, if, particularly if you look historically at technologies and and you know what we're trying to help people do, I think there is some notion to it. But I think what we're what we're finding here is there's got to be a little bit of meat to it, right? Is you know what does it mean behind the covers to you know to to do digital transformation? How does that apply, right? I mean,
1: there's one interesting thing that I find is that. We live in an industry of terms and buzzwords, right? Yeah. And so it's fascinating how you can sometimes listen to someone and they, you can have someone use the exact same buzzwords or terms with one person when they use it with just with the right inflection in the right way. It's like, oh, they know what they're talking about. It's credible. It doesn't sound fake. You hear someone say the exact same kind of stuff and they don't use it quite the right way and you know that they don't understand the depth and it's more of a buzzword than a real meaning to it, which is just fascinating sounds when you're listening. Yeah.
0: Well, that's an interesting segue to one of the next ones that I wanted to have you guys kind of banter about because it's one that's kind of not bugged me, but one that, you know, since I started in, in semiconductor land is kind of the interchangeable use of, you know, the terms flash memory. With solid state drives and, you know, even with, you know, what we do at Pure with custom modules and that one, I don't know, it, it, maybe it's, it, it's not the right way to say it, it bugs me, but um, there are some subtle differences among those and there are some implications, right? Um, but this is kind of a historical thing, right, JD? It goes back.
2: Yeah, and I, this one is really important for Pure, of course, because sure. this goes back, you know, a decade ago. What we actually set out to do was, you know, take take this new thing that we had available, you know, SSDs at the time, and, and apply that in new, interesting ways that could really bring it to the mass market because it was struggling to kind of gain a foothold outside of those ultra elite use cases. And so, um, you know, we really kind of leaned into that story, and we realized actually that there was a lot in an SSD that was there to make it look like a hard drive. And so over time we got to the point where like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to software define a lot of that. We're going to pull all those guts out and we're going to simplify this down to, you know, really it's core technology. And I think that's been a huge part of our our success over the last decade was, was understanding how those worked and, and making that change. So.
1: I mean, it, it's always interesting to think about layers like in the data center we build layers of stuff and the higher that we build the layer from the outside looking in like you care about maybe the layers up top or various layers and the other ones just kind of collapse down because you don't see any difference or you think it's commoditized but it's the impact that then you care about and the best way I know to illustrate this is like we, we talk about and I didn't even really have a handle on this before joining Pure to be honest that we don't sell SSDs, we buy raw NAND, we put them into modules. Okay, that's kind of a pure advertisement. But what a customer cares about, truly cares about, is at the end of year three and four and five, whatever it is, our maintenance costs stay flat. Mm-hmm. That's partly, it's partly a business decision, let's be real, but it's also because of some really hard engineering work that might otherwise be nuanced that leads to better wear leveling and better usage of the NAND so that we don't have the failure rates that require us to have maintenance spikes in years three and four and five. So as long as it's like, it's fun to take that those nuanced items and then always draw them back to something that someone cares about. In in other words, like I'm not going to get a big bill in year four and five before that, it's like, yeah, that's an interesting point, but who cares?
2: Yeah, certainly. Go ahead. You alluded to something really important there, Andrew, you talked about how, you know, it's, it's, you kind of took the business perspective of because we're making this technical improvement, it's changing the cost model in a, in a positive way, but mm-hmm. there's also a really big impact to the actual product itself. You know, we, we would not have flasher AC and wouldn't be able to take advantage of QLC the way we do if it weren't for some of those innovations that we made along the way to get there. Right. And being able to reduce uh, the, the right amplification.
1: That's why this job is fun. Cause we get to have like some technical enthusiasm. There's still like, we get an excuse to geek out, about stuff that has business impact.
0: Otherwise, it's just like, ah, uh, you do it on the side. But when it has business impact, you can geek out some, too. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I think it's fun to make that distinction in, you know, between the actual technology, right? You know, you've got these raw memory chips, and certainly you can try to make them look like drives. And that always frustrated me because I think, you know, what gets lost in some of what we're communicating out is that we, we take those raw memory chips, and then we do kind of fantastic things with them. Um, to add value, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, an SSD. It's not just a drive. It's really technologically designed and developed to, to add value and, you know, able to be non-disruptively upgraded over time. Um, well, let's shift to the, to, to the last one in kind of the rant section here. And I, this is one I'm kind of anti, but this is a fun one since we've all been communicating this way over time, uh, that, that virtual backgrounds on video conferencing, on Zoom backgrounds are the bomb, are amazing. Um, Change my mind, JT.
2: you know i don't want to change your mind cuz at the end of the, at the end of the day i kind of don't care right it's way more important to me from a communication perspective look i mean as an as an se that's that's my job is to be a communicator and how much of our communication is nonverbal it's you know seeing how interested you are in what i have to say and if you're trying to in, in, insert your own words and you know that's such a big part of the communication if you turn your camera off i lose it so for me Turn your camera on. Background, no background. I don't care. I just want to see your face because
0: we're going to have a better conversation. That's fantastic. I learned.
1: Yeah. I mean, in this case, I mean, we're, we're, this is audio only, but, but JD's office is far better than mine is. So he has the luxury of being able to be like, yeah, I don't need a virtual background because I like actually made a cool office. But it's like, all right. Every now and then I get critique for the uh, ESXi 5.0 reference poster on, on the wall. But, and, maybe, and maybe someday I'll actually change it. I don't know. But the, the other the other fun one there is there was one platform going to leave it out that recently introduced some virtual background stuff. And for a while, you could actually have a fun Star Wars effect on it. You actually look a little bit like Princess Leia, you know, with with R2-D2 projecting you out. If you had just like the right combination of background going on, that kind of thing.
0: Okay, I I want
2: to change my answer now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I actually think it's kind of fun and fascinating to see into people's homes, you know, with the people we're working with and whether they're partners or whether they're clients or, you know, uh, pure folks. I like seeing what kind of rooms they got, you know, how do they decorate, what's on the wall, what color did they paint the wall? Like all that stuff is is super interesting. You, you get this, you know, this sort of looking glass, you get this, you know, microscope into, you know, people's homes. I've, I've been finding that super fast. Like I've got a painting, you know, I've got a painting behind me that I could give you guys three guesses as to, you know, who that artist is and you probably wouldn't get it in a million years. But I like putting that up because at some point a Lionel Feininger fan of German art from the 1900s is going to appear. What do you got up? You got something on your microphone, JD?
2: That's my little uh, Jurassic Park era. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. What are these little cars? Micro machines.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's always great pod. It's always great pod when we're pointing out things that people can't see. So we probably should, you know, potentially. The point add. is,
2: I love the little Easter eggs people yeah. hide behind them. And It's a, you know, it's just another yeah. fun thing.
0: It's fun
1: stuff. I style. want to do a micro machine style for the rest of this ad from the '80s ad where we all talk at like 3x speed. I don't, I don't know if we can pull it off, but we should.
0: That guy was fantastic. Yeah, I wish I wish I could talk like that. Some people tell me I talk like that, but I'm not even close. All right, let's. Um, thanks for getting through the rant period. I hopefully folks found that interesting. We just those were things that we couldn't neatly fit into the whole change my mind kind of things. But now we're going to kind of diverge a little bit into more of the technological areas and really, you know, topics and trends and things that are popular right now um, that I, I think people will find super interesting to get your perspectives on. And let's start with the kind of blanket statement that off the shelf storage products are not flexible enough. Really interesting and thought provoking one is off the shelf, not flexible enough JD.
2: Um, you know, like so many things in life, there's always a trade off, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can, you can build, you can buy, that's kind of the classic decision that, that people are faced with, but you know, you're always kind of weighing, the the trade-offs of making that decision. But I think storage is one of those areas where it's different, right? Because at the end of the day, all of what your business relies on probably comes back down to the data. The data is, a lot of people call it the crown jewels of your business, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so I may be willing to go take a risk and try something and experiment on the application side or, or on the network side. But you know, from my perspective, when it comes to when it comes to keeping that data safe, keeping your business safe, uh, the storage is somewhere where you really don't want to compromise. And, and think about it. If you're you're in the middle of an emergency, some kind of outage, um, do you want your homegrown solution where maybe uh, the people who developed it don't even work there anymore? Or do you want to be able to pick up the phone and call you know, your your friendly support team and, and have them kind of help out? This you know, is where thinking. we think about data gravity.
1: And we've done so much in the data center to make things stateless, like you know, mm-hmm. you unplug a network cable, you plug it back in, stateless, it works kind of thing. And, and even though, like as pure, we've done things to make the storage stateless, the data isn't stateless. And even if you do again crazy things like we do at Pure to do, to do data reduction in various ways, there's still a lot of data gravity there. And if you uh, and and if you if that core piece isn't accessible, you're dead. And this is what sometimes I think about a lot of times and we're borrowing from other pieces here, but JD, we were talking about kind of build versus buy a little bit. And that is one of the core questions here where over the years, it's been fascinating to see that most software-defined storage products end up being having tin wrapped around them. Maybe you're buying software, like Pure's a software company, but people don't want to actually consume Pure as just software. They want to consume it with the hardware wrapped around the software.
2: Well, and, and think about how much... While there is software that's driving a lot of that interaction, the features, you know, we just talked a few minutes ago about what we did with SSDs and actually changing that paradigm and and talking directly to the flash, there are a lot of aspects, especially in storage, where that hardware innovation is important. It, it, but I, I won't I won't reduce it just to on-premises. We can talk about the cloud too, right? Because think about what we did with cloud block store. We didn't just shove our software into the cloud. We actually took cloud-native building blocks, much like you would have taken building blocks that we have available in, in the hardware space. We took cloud-native building blocks and actually put them together to make something better. So even though it's software-defined, there's still actual underlying infrastructure that goes into that.
1: Yeah, and what's fascinating there is, I mean, we're partnering with AWS and Azure. They're bigger than we are.
2: What a surprise.
1: So they actually saw, we've got five, ten years of hardened code paths and data reduction and replication and statelessness and all this stuff. And that's interesting enough for them to work with us versus say like, yeah, we can knock that out in a year with the crazy amount of developers we have, you know, that kind of thing. So that's where you even kind of, I'm going to keep playing out the build versus buy a little bit because sometimes it's build versus buy at a corporate level. Like as pure, uh, when we looked at the at NAS and SMB and NFS, you know, we said, should we build or buy? The answer is yes. You know, on FlashBlade, we're building the protocols. On FlashArray, we, we purchased CompuVarid. For customers, it goes back to what, what you were saying, JD. I mean, do I want to maintain and be responsible for what is potentially the most critical thing there? And it, it seems like, and I want to be cautious here because we've, we've got some large customers out there, but the only place where this is really predominant to build is hyperscalers you know yeah. do the complexity development mm-hmm. staff cost etc i'm not saying it's it's not theoretically possible for other customers but just in practice it doesn't seem like it actually works out even though f- folks like to think about it and play with it and sometimes there's science projects there but it, it it all it usually doesn't work out outside of the hyperscalers
2: counterpoint though to the to the hyperscaler um aspect how how many of those it may be not the hyperscaler but the very very large enterprise customers how many of those developed a storage software or some piece of software that wasn't necessarily core to their business, but that they needed. And then they outsourced it so that they could actually get other people to help develop (laughs) that. Right. So, you know, it's, I I, kind of see if it's not a core part of your business um, you know, let somebody focus on that, who it it is core for.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, there has to be some type of competitive advantage that they can get by doing something, you know, very custom, right? But JD, your point is, is is absolute, right? You can't go off and do everything because then you're just extending your, your staff and your resources way, way too thin. I mean, I have experienced with this back when I was working in Serverland, where one of the big hyperscalers approached us and we built a custom product basically just for them. And in the time it took us to go off and do that, they effectively went off and just solved it on their own. And, you know, we ended up with a product <laughs> that we ended up with a product that sold like whatever the opposite of hotcakes is. Right. So, I mean, that was one of those, you know, that was one of those cake? misses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> carrot cake. With, it's, sold, without it's, sold carrots like, it's sold like carrot cake in my house. Yeah, for sure. Well, since we since we've been on kind of the cloud um, area now, let's go on to another section that we wanted to kind of dive into, which is. Um, cloud versus on-prem. And we're just going to use on-prem now for the rest of this, based on our. Uh, yeah. I win. I
1: just, maybe kind of. I don't. Maybe
0: kind of. We're just going to do on-prem. <laughs> so let's let's do a statement that I think is interesting because this has come up in in uh, some some CIO summits that I was that I was uh, moderating over the last year and a half. Some events that I was kind of involved in. Um, over time, every app will be or become cloud native. Change my mind.
2: Like I've started a lot of these. Andrew, you want to jump in?
0: Yeah, Andrew, you can go first yeah. this time. I've given JD the, 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 the beginning.
1: Go go first. I mean, I'm, I'm just being too polite. We're supposed to be talking smack. So I, I, I think I need, to, I need to raise my game it, here. It can be bit, smack but. free. It's okay. It can be smack <laughs> free. Very polite, genteel. But so someday, maybe... Maybe. Mm-hmm. So it feels like anything new is going to be cloud native. It, it feels very hard to say, like, you know, you're going to start out and go get a mainframe if you're starting a new company. And, and we even have some testament, testament to that is pure, like, you know, 20, 30% of our customers are companies that started in the cloud as a single cloud company. And then as they grew and they need to take the economies of scale back, they started to go multi cloud or hybrid cloud, et cetera, whatever. I know that's buzzword heavy. But to me, I come back to when I was a customer, I started out of college. Uh, we there was a mainframe system we're still running a lot of the core business stuff at the university I worked at. And the statement was that we're gonna this is gonna it has about a two to three year time frame before we move this out. I was there seven years. When I left, the statement was, we expect to retire the mainframe within two to three years. So and, and it's, it's it's a little funny, but I mean they, it's it's about the cost of replatforming existing apps. and in some cases, the old custom apps, they're incredibly optimized and hardened. And you can even make the case, maybe I might get in trouble here, that COBOL programmers took code rigor more seriously than today. There definitely wasn't like a fail fast mentality on some of that stuff. It was like do it in a really rigid but really stable way kind of thing. So it feels like there's going to be a lot of cloud native apps and it may even just be more determined by companies going out of business if the new stuff is competitive enough because the cost of free platform may just not be there. Or it's 10, 20% of the cost to build on to whatever else, um, even mainframe stuff versus write the whole thing new. JD, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think I look at the question a little bit more as in, you know, what what kind of, what are these apps going to look like as opposed to, you know, are they going to run natively in the cloud? Because I think, you know, of course, your, your AWS and your Azure and those folks they are going to continue to develop unique services to pull more and more customers into their ecosystem to use, to use their tools. But, you know, I think what we've seen in an evolution is, you know, vendors that are trying to give customers more flexibility to, you know, maybe take advantage of some of those uh, types of solutions, but do it in a way that's a little more, dare I use another buzzword hybrid, right? So where I'm not tightly bound to the service that you, that, that vendor A is offering, i but I'm refactoring to take advantage of what those new developments mean for applications, things like statefulness, things like being built on containers and, and having the mobility that comes with that and um, having an idea that things are service oriented as opposed to being very static and, and, and bound to the hardware. So so yeah, I I think I think things will be cloud native, but not necessarily cloud native for a vendor, if that makes sense.
1: The, ironically, the last Pure Accelerate we were at uh, physically, you know, in person, uh, Ken Nalbone, who was working for Tech Field Day at the time, and there were some podcasts going on, and he'd like to basically kind of photobomb or voice bomb just walking behind and saying Kubernetes, like in kind of a WWE <laughs> announcer voice kind of thing. So that's what's going on in the back of my head. Like, you didn't say, quite say Kubernetes, JD, but I, I feel like, Rob, we. Maybe in the maybe in the show notes, we need to actually add a buzzword bingo card for this, so people can can fill it out as they go along. I think we,
0: gonna... yeah, and I think it needs to be a full bingo grid. I mean, I don't think we're oh, talking no. about nine boxes. We're talking probably talking about fifty boxes, like mm-hmm. a regular a regular bingo card. will will definitely do that. I, you know, look, either way, I mean, we you know we're focusing on this area. It's it's an interesting and dynamic area, and there's a lot changing. But again, from some of those CIO summits I did, I mean, that was all they were focused on was just. You know, how can I take even my really stodgy traditional apps, I won't mention any vendor names, but how can I take my traditional stodgy vendor apps and make those things, you know, so that they're containerized and, and, uh, and lightweight. So that is a fun one. Great to get your perspectives on that. Let's go on to another perspective area that you both have uh a little bit of experience in I don't know that we want to mention other data protection vendors because I don't want you guys to start fighting through the uh, through the wires here but you both have spent some decent time uh, at respective competitors in the data protection space
1: the, the, the cool thing was that we when JDM, we, it was like one of the interesting things is when you're at competitive companies sometimes like there's 80% of stuff that you agree on. And that's not what you focus on when you're competing. You you focus on the ten or twenty percent you're right. But under the covers, you actually agree on a ton of stuff. And so we first started talking about JDK to be, uh, to pure. Whoops, uh, it was actually it was actually pretty cool. It was like man, we agree on all this stuff, and we don't have any reason to fight now. So hey, we can actually get along really well.
2: So, yeah, I mean, okay. your mind, you are you're you're just saying it subconsciously now. <laughs>
1: yeah, I got to. But no, I
2: I agree. I think that the key thing is both of us are are incredibly. Uh, focused on the fact that data protection is important, right? You know, just like it's important, we talked earlier. It's important to you know protect that data from a primary storage perspective. You also need lots of mitigation and making sure that that it's going to be there for you.
0: Yeah, no, it, I mean, and that's how we approach it here, right? I mean, I, you know, in our team with solutions, it's it's a spectrum, right? I mean, it's it's an end-to-end uh, portfolio, for lack of a better word, of of different you know options and different capabilities you need to provide. But a couple of those capabilities that that um, that that come up and there's actually a blog that I've I've got coming out pretty soon around this, you know, that's that's talking about data reuse and in and, and it we talk about snapshots and, and backups and taking data that's in neutral and using it. But um there's a, a little bit of confusion around that sometimes right so there's that whole you know notion of snapshots are not backups or snapshots are backups right but snapshots are not backups change my mind jd I'll, I'll i'll call on you first to take this one on and then get andrews perspective
2: yeah i i i absolutely think that snapshots are not backup i mean right. and it and it really comes back to the Understanding, you can call it the three two, one rule, or I'll actually borrow um, a, a, a statement that I know Andrew says a lot when he talks about defense in depth. When, when you're talking about ransomware, you know, that, that applies here too, right? It's, I need to have, if we're, if we're thinking three to one, three copies of my data, two different media, and at least one of those off site. And I think snapshots are an incredibly powerful tool to help you find that strategy for your business. So, so yes, they're incredibly important, but to simply say I have a snapshot, I can recover, everything's good. You know, it's, it's, it's not part of the complete picture Mm -hmm. we need that defense in depth kind of strategy
1: takes me back to the customer partner days, was working with another platform, just leaving out who because we're not here to take pot shots, you know, that actually truly pushed snapshots our backups for a while. And at one point, I was on the partner side, and I had this long email that I would send to customers. Okay, here's the front end stuff, which is actually pretty easy, because you're saying a snapshot schedule on the array it just runs, uh, maybe crash consistent, maybe some application quiescing. But then the recovery process... Because you didn't have inherently a catalog and dig in, you had like this type of data you recover this way, and this one you recover this way, and this one you recover this way, which is why it was a really long email. But the front end benefit is very real. And we're going to go grandiose for a second. I mean, if we talk about like the data protection pantheon, Snapshot should absolutely be in it. And maybe sometimes even the first line of defense, because in some cases, like with Pure we'll talk about there's nothing faster than metadata (laughs) operations. But is the only thing? You know, there's enough complications. I'm not just trying to justify like that we have jobs, but there's nuances there that play out when it comes re- to recovery time.
0: I nice did way. not. I did not have Pantheon on my buzzword bingo card. I, I, I uh, kind of missed that one. it's uh, good. Good usage. I like that. Let's take on another one because this is a really uh, rich topic area and, and one that everybody's looking at, particularly with. A lot of things we've talked about relative to ransomware, Mr. Miller, um, calling out a couple of our, our very good and well-performing episodes, but no um, let's about. do another one related to this. And it's a, you know, kind of a thought-provoking one that, that backups are just an insurance policy, right? You're effectively just paying money to ensure um, what you've got from, from a data perspective. Um, let's see, JD went first last time. So Andrew, you get to go first this time.
1: I've got some personal history here uh, and friends at both where I was previously and friends at multiple companies where they have the idea of like you know hey where else in your infrastructure is all your data together in kind of one spot and if you could build other things around that to do interesting stuff sometimes this is the concept of a data lake if you will we like to say data hub is pure because maybe a lake is too slow it flows too slowly you know or, or data stream I don't know so the If a backup is just an insurance policy, the interesting thing to me is that it's going to be hard for you to invest enough relative to new threats. And yes, we're going to just tie that right over to the ransomware podcast we've done, right, kind of thing. It'll be harder to justify. If you can get more value out of your backups because you need them to do more for you, see ransomware, but also if you can get more out of it from an analytics and other standpoint, the data is more accessible. Yes, that plays to FlashBlade, but that's sitting in the middle of some larger trends That are being driven externally where we've got some good stuff to help people it's just an insurance policy i think it's going to bite you in certain scenarios as a customer
0: jd jump in
2: all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna take an adversarial approach here because i i think Uh, i think that what you're saying is we need as a as a set of backup vendors and i'm not calling anyone out but in, in general as backup vendors we need a way to make backup more interesting so let's come up with some ways that we can sell this to our customers and, and, and make it sound like it's more than just backup because, you know, historically backup has been a little bit boring. I think that that's changing, but you know, it's, I think it's a, a marketing tool. And the reason I say that is because yes, it's important to be able to take your data and do other interesting things with it, but why not go directly to the source? I mean, we're, we're investing so much in, in, scale out tools that give you massive parallelization and allow uh, multiple different w- tools and workloads to be to be acted on at the same time, why not go there? Why not go to the source? Why do I have to go to my, my backup data that may be a little bit older and go use that as that source? I, I think this is maybe something where some of the vendors are leaning in a little bit to try to add value that maybe is not there. It, yeah, um, and, and
0: let's take this a little bit further, J.D. Are there, you know, there's, there's different Ways to protect data, and it's it's a spectrum. But you know, you've got backup, and historically, you've had archive done in different ways, whether it's tape or now cloud. You've got DR, um, you've got business continuity, right? And you know, is is there a selection among those? Are there things that you got to have, and others that you can kind of not have, or is there really no debate? Like this is this is this is part of a comprehensive strategy for making sure the business can stay up and run.
2: Well, I, I turn that back on the the customer or the business. You know, yeah. hey, w- which one do you want to compromise on? It's like, hey, I can I can restore your data from a backup, maybe 24, 48 hour RPO, but uh, but you're gonna be down for a little while while I do that. And you know, are you are you cool with that? And it really comes down to what your needs are and where you're interested in investing. And honestly, if I could, you know, plug pure a little bit, sure. I think that's one of the interesting things that we've done is we've said, you know what, it's, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can actually be a spectrum of all of these. And we've invested in giving customers tools that play into all three of those. Right.
1: The, the other interesting thing there for me is that it, it takes me back to some partner side and doing like business impact analysis, doing some of the consulting and some of the advertising, the consultants that did it. And one thing that I find interesting that I, I appreciate it, pure it's a little self-serving since we're here, is that we've got enough options now that we can have a holistic conversation. And if you can do that, then you shouldn't start with backup, archive, DR, business continuity. You should start with, Mr. Customer, let's talk and maybe educate about RPO and RTO. How much data do you lose? How long does it take to come back up? We have enough options that we're not scared about where that decision tree goes. And oh, by the way, we include those options all at no extra license cost. So if you don't know and they change on you, and in a perfect world, you do actual formal business impact analysis consulting and map out your application tiers and all that kind of stuff. In the real world, often you can't. And you get a request that comes in a year later after the application goes live and says, like, move it from, you know, 15 minutes to one minute. Well, how painful is that kind of thing? So it's in a perfect theoretical world, like we can split archive out from backup in the real world. All that stuff starts to get a little conflated. And the ease of moving between them from a technical perspective and a licensing perspective... Is what ends up playing out.
0: Yeah, and that's what it's really about, right? I mean, it should be about that business value outcomes discussion, right? How much, you know, how much pain can you endure, right? If mm-hmm. if you have an outage or if there's a natural disaster, how much pain do you want to endure? Maybe it's very little, or maybe you know, maybe it's a, a tiny bit because you know what the numbers are going to be. But um, the business impact analysis certainly is a great way to start and we're starting to do a lot of business impact analysis around uh, our, our good friend ransomware as well. We've now got a ransomware assessment tool, um, that's out there. And so that's something JD that, you know, ransomware is totally in the mix as well.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna say I'm not worthy on this one. I, uh, you know, Andrew and <laughs> Andrew have put out some really great podcasts on the subject tools that I've used actually to, to, to train myself in some respects. So I, 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 I would absolutely defer to Andrew on this one. The,
1: the, the crazy thing to me is that some of this is just uh, time and effort and energy and, and a little bit maybe of kind of a, an odd interest in the space, to be honest. I have like personal interest in this one I follow because it's like this. Uh, it goes to my some economics background and even psychology and finance kind of mixed in there. But I mean, what's what's crazy about ransomware is that I, I think, and I'll, this, actually, I'll make a bold statement here. We didn't have it in here. Uh-huh. That may be the single thing. That drives the most transformation of the backup and recovery industry of any trend in the last ten years. Quite Especially a bit by of, pain, which right.
0: stinks. Yeah,
1: but we we as humans respond to pain. We don't have a choice.
0: So. Yes, and that brings back where we can say there will be plenty of digital transformation. Mark your bingo card in that ransomware in that ransomware space, and that's where it really actually applies. All right, let's move on another topic. We, we kind of hit that one pretty hard, but there was a lot of meat there and, and you guys have a lot of experience in there. So it was really good to get that perspective. This is one that's near and dear to my heart because again, I'll go back to my days in server microprocessor land where we always had this balancing act between you know the, the scale up types of systems, the big symmetric multiprocessing, SMP, multiple processors designed for reliability failover. And then all of a sudden came along some really cost-effective x86 processors that were, you know, not necessarily custom and and more mass produced, and you had the confluence as well with the rise of a really great virtualization technology, and all of a sudden scale out became all the wave along with an operating system. I guess you could argue that our uh, our, our desktop Linux operating system evolving into a server OS was a big thing. So now we look at this in in terms of the storage industry, and we have this whole same kind of scale out versus you know scale up type of discussion uh, is scale out the future. Scale out is the future. Change my mind, JD.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is actually. So um, I think in some respects it's gonna be inevitable because we've seen that data growth is trending with no end in sight. And I would argue that it's gonna to continue to trend faster than Moore's law can keep up with. And so scaling up and up and up to try to keep pace with that just long-term is not going to be sustainable. Right. And that's not to say that scale up doesn't have a tremendous number of use cases today and into the future. But I think, I think scale out is going to rapidly take over scale up in terms of, you know, the the workloads that we see to respond to that massive data growth.
0: So scale up is not going away necessarily, but there'll be more of a trend to, to scale out then in general.
2: Look, I'm not going to put my traditional database on scale up, right? That, that, that's an area where ultra low latency scale up makes a lot more sense. Sure. Uh, but but uh, in general, I think that's the trend. Absolutely. Yeah. Andrew, where are you?
1: This is where it's, it's kind of fun. And this, uh, I'm not going to borrow too much from a, a later point here. But if, if you ask me, hey, I need 50 gigabytes per second of throughput, I take any scale up architecture that can have super low latency. I'm going to have a challenge with that throughput. I, I got to spread it out. I got to scale out. You asked me, I'd like sub millisecond response time with data reduction because <clears throat> I actually need to keep the metadata table in some kind of higher speed access. You can only take that so far with a scale-out architecture. You know, and That's actually uh, one way to describe, like, frankly, what we've done with FlashBlade and FlashArray. So it's fun to have a conversation sometimes with customers about, is it a throughput discussion? <clears throat> is it a latency discussion? Or is it a density discussion? And then that can help drive you down the path instead of like, hey, let's have a, a fiber channel versus iSCSI or a scale-out versus scale-up. It's like, no, which one do you care about? And then we'll match it. And in some cases, if you really care about scale-out, you may be able to compromise on some of the scale-out, more native characteristics kind of thing. There is the, there is the real challenger, and JD was alluding to this. I mean, scale-out, uh, there's a lot of complexity there. Uh, we've, we've seen multiple companies over the years that have tried to implement this for classic workloads, if you will, and it's just hard. You get into the amount of crosstalk between the nodes on the back end as that grow from a um, logarithmic basis versus a, a multiplicative. I'm losing my terms here, but I think you know it's, it's where it's where the chart goes up really fast versus you know it goes up linearly. Yeah, yeah, I think.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's interesting because you know I mentioned the server background around this and all the things that you guys discussed are exactly the same things in server land. You know, relative to all that crosstalk and different things when you're in the you know scale out. Um, type of uh, type of solution, and then there's probably workload characteristics, JD, as well for this, right? I mean, you mentioned that, right? You know, kind of your classic database has a fit in one place, and maybe some of these other, you know, cloud native or um, you know modern applications are things that, that fit better in a, in a scale out.
2: And we only call them modern today because they're newer. But I think as we yeah. move forward, it's really applications that are built to take advantage of huge amounts of, of of data and processing those different ways so when we only call it modern today tomorrow we're just going to call them applications
0: yeah. Well, and those things are growing at a much higher clip, right? I mean, I think the last stats that I kind of saw were like, you know, those modern, app, and let's be clear on what we're talking we we're talking about, you know, more analytics types of things in, in, in that space. And those are growing, you know, 45, 50% per year, whereas your traditional relational databases and where data kind of lives there is more mm-hmm. around, you know, 10 or 15%. So, you know, over time that goes back to, I don't know, Andrew, is that a logarithmic scale or a multiplicative scale, but <laughs> uh, over time, that Delta between those two, is and, and the growth they have is is certainly going to uh, going to spread. Well, that was a that was a Andrew. You got one one final point to close on this one.
1: Yeah, it's just interesting. to JD's point about application architecture. You know, applications assuming that performance, as far as latency and resiliency, are paired together in a scale out architecture, often they're not. You know, the performance is something that's very close to the application. Let's say like instance store from AWS. There's not to pick out, That's a you know one one option. Uh, but then the resiliency is provided separately from the response time to the application. So it's it's actually interesting to see how some of the things that have been put together at a storage layer are getting kind of picked apart and done in different ways based on, in some cases, developers just saying like, hey, you know, sometimes I think it's like, hey, maybe I could just try it this way. In other cases, there's actually real benefits there too. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Good discussion. That was was a fun one. I, I liked hearing your perspectives on that uh sort of closely related i think you know as a as a fake segue here um we can talk now about storage deployment strategies and this one i think is a bit controversial just because the notion of tiering has been a thing and and, and has been something for uh, for some time now as the technology and the media has evolved for what is used to you know build out storage arrays but let's talk tearing right tearing is dead change my mind jd go first on this one.
2: i'll i'll jump in on this one because yeah. i i do want to change your mind because you know i think i think we're stuck in thinking about tearing as you know maybe hard drives and ssd's yeah. and and from that perspective sure yeah that's dead but they are constantly evolving media types right we've got scm now that we're taking advantage of and bringing that into you know a, a, a traditional Uh, scale up architecture and and how can we continue to bring down uh, the the latency and and use it for caching. So I I think it's never going to be dead because we're never going to stop innovating. We're never going to stop having new technologies that come in that we, we partner with our existing technologies as we continue on that scale to to take advantage of them, you know, as costs come down. And, you know, so, so no, I think, and it goes on both ends too. I talked about SCM on the high end of the scale. Let's talk about, let's talk about QLC on, you know, maybe the, the lower performance end of the scale. You know, am I arguing that today we're ready to go replace all of the flash in the world with QLC? Absolutely not, but there's definitely a place for it. So no, tiering is not dead and it never will be.
0: Andrew counterpoint or similar thoughts on this? I think I'm
1: gonna play the go back to the the nuance and definition game. You know what? I don't know what to do. Let's probably go back to so uh, bold statement: tearing is dead, but tiers are alive. Okay, so so let's kind of play that out a little bit. So tearing, to, to JD's point, like SSDs, hard drives. Et cetera, I mean, tearing in the array was kind of a short-term approach. Maybe even call it a hack because you had such disparity from a cost per gigabyte perspective versus an IOPS per uh, uh, sorry a dollars per gigabyte perspective versus a dollars per IOPS perspective. And how do you bridge that when you have some data that's hot and some data that's cold? You know, that kind of thing, right? The classic classic 80-20, if you will. Now, tiering and having different tiers, back to what we talked about with scale up and scale out and totally different application workloads. What's interesting there is I think that tiers are well and alive and we may even be back to Some of the shades of HSM or hierarchical storage management, maybe not in a truly automated way, like was always the grand hope there with HSM, but actually seeing enough difference in the application demands to drive some of those different tiers in the data center for me, it even takes me back a little bit to, I worked with one vendor, one, one storage partner that was, uh, did a lot of stuff around deduplication. And then I changed jobs and went to one that didn't do deduplication, but it did tiering in the array. And, and the, the light bulb moment that came on for me was that it's really about the overall, the storage or the data efficiency. How, how I get there, deduplication, tiering, data reduction, whatever else, you know, kind of thing that's a little bit secondary to the result that I'm giving from a rack space or cost per total IOP per terabyte, that kind of thing. So what I love there is that we are doing shades of HSM coming back from the dead 20 years later, although I don't know if I'm supposed to call it that because maybe that, I don't know if that's a copyrighted term for anybody if that gets me in trouble, but tiers in the data center are, are making a comeback based on the disparity of applications we see.
0: Interesting. JD?
2: So can we, at least, if we're going to disagree, Andrew, could we at least agree that if there's going to be tiering or, or where there's going to be tearing, it's critical that it has to be simple to use, right? We, we don't want to be in a situation where we ask customers, Hey, here's a whole bunch of tools. Now you go piece them all together. Meanwhile, trying to carry your business forward.
1: Without the tiers being simple, Enough, it all falls down. Now, now, of course, there's a part of me that wants to say like, no, I totally disagree because I've made a good career out of complexity. And there may be shades there of some folks listening be like, no, don't make it too simple. Like that, that's my job to do this stuff. But yeah, if we're going to have multiple tiers inside the data center, if the tiers are individually too complex to maintain and track, it, it all falls down.
0: Totally agree there. That's a wonderful segue to the next topic, the next big topic that we wanted to take on. Very clever by you, there, Mr. Miller. Um, that was all JD. No, it was, uh, it was both. You're both clever. You're both clever. I, I, I you're, you know, I, I don't have a favorite child. Who's I, I your favorite? My, Come on, I, I love all my children equally. You know, <laughs> just love some more than the others. No, um, you know, let's let's get into the core pillar, right? Because simplicity is something that. Uh, you know, that is important, but simplicity always uh, can be perceived as a threat and maybe take it further that simplicity via automation or the automation of various tasks, which let's face it, is going to happen and has been happening for hundreds of years, you know, with, with the industrial revolution and, and, you know, the automation of certain manual tasks, that is something that is just going to happen over time. But where it's really interesting and perhaps controversial is when they do studies around what that automation has done, it has typically brought about more jobs and more employment opportunities rather than eliminating. It certainly eliminated certain tasks. There are no buggy drivers out there that are driving carts with horses to get people around, but, you know the the rise of automobiles brought a whole bunch of other jobs. So let's talk a little bit about simplicity and and maybe the intuitiveness like that, that we have here at Pure. But um, let's say simplicity isn't always good because there is sort of a threat to to um, to employment or jobs. Simplicity isn't always good. Change my mind on that one. Who wants to go first?
1: I'll, I think I'll jump in. I was actually thinking about the history there for industrial revolution, Rob and uh, we, so we, we use the term luddite sometimes in common conversation as a pejorative term yeah but there was actually a historical basis there are people in england who were concerned their jobs were going to go away they couldn't feed their families and they felt personally threatened by technology like in a very real personal way like we won't have food to eat and this is this is just like a human nature kind of thing right i mean i felt and sometimes when i saw stuff coming in as a customer and as a partner like is this going to change what i do i don't know what else yeah. to do so the the reality for better or worse we continue adding more stuff into the stack. There's more things the business has to do, so the lower layers of the stack, if you will, they have to compress. They have to get more simplified. Maybe they get outsourced. Maybe they get simplified. Whatever else. I mean, that something has to give. But a key piece of that is where you where that gives, whether it's um, c- compression of the stack and simplification, or other ways. There has to be a fundamental level of trust. Because if you're going to give some of this responsibility away, let's just take, hey, we work for pure so let's take FlashArray. There's a lot of stuff that you don't do in FlashArray. Like the first time I got into the GUI, it was like, that. that's it? You know, there's a lot of things that I've done in previous storage products I, I don't even think about. But that's the reason, that trust, and customers looking for that, part of that's like track record, and you talk to references, and other customers run it. But some of it is why, you know, JD and I, part of our job is to have these deeper you know, discussions about how the array works. So it's like a life of an IO presentation and how writes come in and data reduction and compression and deduplication. A lot of this is stuff that fundamentally a customer, I, I can't even change how the array works that way. We can't tweak it. But people want to know how and why they should trust us. That's actually why, as much as Pure is about simplicity, you find some real storage gigs here because we still have to do all that stuff under the covers and understand it well, well enough. So there's there's definitely a threat here and I want to take a little bit of a different than the highlight. Like, oh, IT is always changing and you just need to be cool with it because this is a human thing. But if we lean into it, it can be really good from a job perspective. And I think I'll, I'll close and then toss it over to JD is that I think early in my career, I, I realized that from an IT standpoint, I've got two options. Either I can be the one driving change or I can be the one having change driven on me. Yep. I don't want to be the one messing up anyone else's life, but if those are the two options, and I think they are, I know which of those I'd prefer. <laughs> I'd far rather be the one driving change in some way than having to react to it. JD,
2: yeah, I love that you took the human aspect of it. I think that's really important. And and to kind of evolve that a little bit, it's not that simplicity isn't always good. It's you know, th- there's complexity there, right? It, you're not you're not getting rid of the complexity. You're just using your skills and your tools to hide that complexity in some way to make it easier on a day-to-day basis. I mean, to go back to the simplest example, let's just talk about scripting, right? Scripting is simplifying a a repetitive task that I've got to do over and over again. I'm, I'm simplifying my life by doing that. I haven't, I haven't gotten rid of that complexity. I've just hidden it in some ways. And um, the key thing for me though, is it, absolutely has to be implemented correctly or it's all going to fall apart. Not, uh, You know, there's, there's an example here that, I, that I use with home automation, you know, you, you know, I'm a big geek, right? So I've got all the setup at home where I walk in and the lights turn on and my, my temperature changes to what I want it to be. And it's, it's all dynamic and, and it's wonderful. And I'm not the only one who uses it. I have a family who uses it too, and they're not maybe as geeky as me. And so I just need that to work. I want it to be incredibly simple. And so yeah. I, I won't name names, but I bought a vendor solution that was that, with the promise of making this simple and easy to use. But the problem was there was so much; it was implemented so poorly, and there was so little integration with many of the other tools out there that I constantly had to go in and hack at it to make it do what I wanted it to do. So ultimately, I said, you know what? If I'm going to have to go dig into this complexity anyway, it, it's no, it's of no value to me. And so I'm just going to go with an open source solution, get rid of the simplicity, just just do it myself because I'm going to have all that power. And so, I mean, I think that's a great example of how, yes, simplicity is incredibly important and good, but you you have to actually think about how you implement. And and, and I'll give a quick shout out here because if he listens to this, he's going to know that I stole his talk track. But, you know, a good buddy, a buddy of mine, Matt uh, Yeti and Uh, His co-host, Matt Casolino actually run a podcast up in the pac Northwest where I am called Data Center Therapy, um, part of iVoxy Consulting. And and this was something that they actually kind of turned me on to. And and so I'll I'll give a quick shout out to those guys.
0: No, great plug. Always love plugging other pods that are in there. So go and check that out. And a really great example, right? Simplicity is worthwhile if it is promised and delivered, you know, in in the right um, kind of fashion. And... You know that that home automation thing hits right at home because i've got you know two different systems from two different vendors and they certainly don't talk and that's you know frustrating at times but um, you know you choose one technology at some point and then like something else with another, and you tend to, you know, you, you, you make that decision. So um, good, good discussion around uh, simplicity there and intuitiveness. And we get to what I believe is our final topic. So for folks, if you're still with us, thank you, because I, I know we're, we're going longer than the average episode here, but when I get these two individuals on a pod, I'm going to keep them for as long as I can, and the banter and the dialogue has been super fun. But let us bring it back to Pure here at the end and let you debate about your favorite or what you would argue is the best core pure technology and you only get to choose one and so it's not like it's it's sort of a choose one and and then you know you have to argue your side so it's less a change your mind but um, let us let's see Andrew went first last time so JD gets to uh, gets to choose first here JD favorite Mm -hmm favorite or not even favorite best
2: core technology that pure best core technology. Oh, yep. Um, you know, I, gosh, you, you, you're probably going to laugh. I'm going to get gushy on you a little bit here and I'm actually going to get a reference back to something that you and I talked about on our last pod together, but it's, it's, it's not the technology. It is more about the culture of innovation that we have at pure, right? Because I can sit here and I can tell you, you know, I, maybe I'll pick, um, you know, direct flash modules and how we've changed flash media and, and done that evolution. But you know, that that's that was just a means to an end. We we saw an opportunity. Or maybe it's flashblade and the way that we are kind of embracing scale out. But at the end of the day, those those things are just that's what we're building. Ultimately, as we move to the future, we're going to continue to innovate in really interesting ways. And there's always going to be something next and something new. And the fact that all uh, The entire culture of Pure is, is focused on that innovation and embracing it and not just doing something we've always done because we've always done it. I think that is our, our greatest technology.
1: Love it. I mean, I, I, I think JD cheated a little bit already by not a technology, but, but I mean, I, I, it's like sitting on partner tech. my mind. And seeing the, the pace of uh, innovation from Pure, like seeing the speed of the roadmap and kind of stuff, like I absolutely agree. I'm going to cheat a little differently, though. Let's say it's like one coin, but it's two sides of the same coin, maybe, you know, because without statelessness and data reduction going together, pure would not be where it is. Statelessness? core. There's no state stored in the controller. There's no permanent state stored on the NAND. You know, that's all portable. That means no application downtime. As As you migrate controllers in family and between families, it makes it a platform rather than a product, if you will. You know, customers that have actually literally had the same system, if you will, for 10 years as they swapped in and out every single part and piece of it. That's cool. However, if you didn't have data reduction, we wouldn't have gotten off the ground with the price of flash 10 years ago and data reduction is still playing out as a technical gift that keeps on giving in the cloud that helps make some of our economics work on the cloud we talked about how data reduction helps with flashware and the benefits there you know that flat and fair maintenance in years 3, 4, and 5 that's hard work with direct flash that's thanks to data reduction we actually just write less to flash it plays into data gravity and portability and cost things so th- those are two like that I almost see as like intertwined they're separate technical items to play out but that's why I think there's like two sides of the same coin or at least that's my that's my justification of how I'm trying trying to cheat on the question. So if you'll let me get away with it, Rob.
0: I'm gonna let you get away with it and I'm gonna actually cheat further and combine both answers, right? Which says that the culture of innovation, right? That has been born in this company Uh, is directly linked and connected to those technological benefits or those pure core technologies, right? Without without that spirit of innovation, it would have been okay to just do good enough, or it would have been okay to just do what everybody else is doing. But from the start, it was a look and, you know, go back and listen to the podcast that I did with Cause, special two-parter. But, you know, we got an hour and 15 with Cause and, that was, a, that was a big part of that narrative, you know, was, hey, cause what did you, I think I asked the question in a way, it was like, well, you know, what did, what did you see that you wanted to do differently? And he reframed it and said, I saw all the things I didn't want to do in the product, right, I saw the things that were challenging or that didn't work that everybody else was doing, and thus was born spirit of innovation and technology culture. And leading to great things like Evergreen and, and data reduction, and of course many more than that. But those are the ones that Andrew percolated to the top. Well, we made it to the end, gentlemen. How do you feel after uh, after all this?
1: I mean, I, I feel like, I feel we like we we- we're supposed to fight more, and we were kind of friendly. But that's—I mean, we can fight in real life, I guess. West no. Coast,
0: West <laughs> Coast, East Coast.
2: <laughs> well, all I'll say is uh, Kubernetes.
0: Yeah. Oh, bingo, bingo! I got it. I got one. <laughs> I got one. I don't know. What do I win? What do I, do I win a carrot cake?
1: No, that the carrot cake stays in my house cause I especially know that you're not going to appreciate it. So, you know, sorry, tough, yeah, also, maybe life, chocolate, something, go something some random. You know, something chocolate.
0: Like that. Well, thanks gents. This was absolutely a blast. I, uh, I think we should think about doing it again as topics come about and maybe make this a regular thing. Um, But uh, great to get your perspectives and spend time. And for the listeners, I I hope you really got some interesting nuggets out of this as you're sitting out there trying to make business decisions, or if you're a partner and you're trying to understand more about technological choices and and what's happening in the industry, uh, hearing from these two experts directly uh, is going to be super, super beneficial for you, I hope. Uh, Anything to plug, JD, what, uh, what do you got to plug lately besides Twitter handle, blog site, anything like that?
2: You know, I would just say, let's, this is fun. Let's continue the debate uh, on Twitter. Andrew and I are both there. And maybe if somebody else disagrees with us, we can, uh, we can kind of flesh that
0: out a little bit. Yeah, we could actually push some of these things out on social after we get this episode going. Maybe we'll put some of those out and say, Hey, here's the topic change, change our minds and get a discussion going. I love that. Andrew, you're, you're uh, at and driven right on Twitter. That's
1: right. A uh, combination of Andrew and Driven, and it goes back like 20 years. I don't know. Kind of Actually, J.D., you want to just say your Twitter handle out loud for everyone else before I keep yep. going?
2: At J.D. Wallace. Easy, easy, easy.
1: Super easy. Man, that's even better than mine. Somehow I, I could, got in inter- early. You know?
2: I like... had a really small ICQ number, too. <laughs>
1: yeah, Andrew Miller is kind of a common one. No, just, I mean, if anything, the, the interesting thing is that... uh it it gets challenging to maintain internal and external communication. And if you ping me on Twitter, I will always do my best to respond. And I'm trying to get better. Actually, I've had a little bit of a lull there and JD was giving me a hard time about it. So I'm trying to get better about tossing stuff out there.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks to both of you for uh, carving out a good, boy, it's been about an hour now that time flies when you're having a lot of fun. So thanks for carving out the time to uh, chat about all these issues. And we will look at doing this format again, because it was tons Oh, fun. And I want to thank you for listening out there today. Thanks for uh, hearing from uh, from J.D. and Andrew. And uh, as always, send in your requests for topics or ideas. And uh, we will keep bringing outstanding guests like the one we've had on today. And with that, we will close for Pure Storage. J.D. Wallace, Andrew Miller, this is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you.